Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and welcome back to SCP Archives. Sorry we are off last week, I was a little under the weather, but I'm back, I'm feeling better, and we'll have new episodes all the way through to the end of September. What happens after that? Well, Season 6, which is our newest 10-episode original story, Class of 76. In this new season, we'll explore the origins of SCP-2316, or as you might know it, you do not recognize the bodies in the water. It is one of the most well-known and notorious SCPs, and with the help of Frank Serrano, uh, one of my co-writers on Margaret's Garden, we've created something really, really cool. And you'll hear it very soon. Starting on October 4th, Class of 76 will premiere every week, up until its finale. I'll have more news on that and our very special guest in the coming weeks, but for now, enjoy this week's episode. Warning. The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. By order of the Overseer Council, the following file describes an unknown and dangerous man-made anomalous threat involving a hostile person or group of interest and is level 44760 classified. Unauthorized access is forbidden. Item number, SCP-4760, Containment Class, Euclid, Disruption Class, Kenick, Risk Class, Danger. Special Containment Procedures SCP-4760 is contained in its original location of discovery. While attempts to move SCP-4760 to a more secure location have to date invariably failed, Foundation engineers assigned to the entity are to continue to research means by which this may be accomplished. Under Foundation Protocol Falcon 22, an exclusionary zone has been created surrounding SCP-4760. During SCP-4760 activation cycles, no personnel are permitted to enter this exclusionary zone for any reason. Entering this exclusionary zone during one of these cycles is almost immediately fatal, and personnel who do not pass through the established barrier before the beginning of the cycle are to be considered lost. Foundation Protocol Falcon 22 also dictates means by which SCP-4760 activation cycles can be detected. A series of concentric rings of bird cages, each containing a single canary, has been set up surrounding SCP-4760. This system consists of 10 rings, each spread roughly 72 meters from each other, with 12 cages in each ring. Basic mechanical pressure switches in the floors of these cages are to monitor for SCP-4760's activation's effects on the birds inside the cages. These switches are attached to small bells, which will sound continuously if the bird inside hits the floor of the cage with enough force to trigger the mechanism. 
A single D-Class subject is to remain seated next to SCP-4760's terminal at all times. These subjects are instructed to quickly describe on paper what they see on the terminal during the activation cycle whenever it occurs. After the conclusion of an activation cycle, these papers are to be collected and remanded to Site-64 for inspection and research to determine any kind of commonality between the cycles. The remains of these subjects, as well as the remains of the bird used to detect the activation cycles, are to also be moved to Site-64 for incineration. Attempts to replace a D-class subject with a series of long-range photographic devices have been unsuccessful due to heavy interference created by the activation of these cycles. Currently, activation cycles are expected once every 47 days, with a variance of 5 days. It has been 29 days since an SCP-4760 activation cycle. Description SCP-4760 is a machine located on Graham Island, British Columbia, Canada. SCP-4760 was built by POI-1115, Vincent Anderson, supposedly at the request of an unnamed client. SCP-4760 consists of two primary functions. SCP-4760-A is a series of massive tungsten plates seated 1.2 meters under the ground beneath SCP-4760-B. Together, the entire structure constitutes a circular plate roughly 800 meters in diameter. Parts of the plate appear to be coated in thin layers of various rare metals, as well as carbon, palladium, and iridium. Beneath the plates is a network of small copper tubes that run from various points up the underside of SCP-4760-A, up to an access port beneath SCP-4760-B. During an activation cycle, it is believed that these tubes move some sort of gas from the underside of the plate back towards the center of the structure. SCP-4760-B is a naked humanoid entity seated on a steel chair in the center of the SCP-4760-A array. This being is completely hairless and has no eyes, ears, nose, mouth, anus, or other open orifices anywhere on its body. In the place of eyes, SCP-4760-B has two metal ports over each of its eye sockets attached to which are two metallic cables running from SCP-4760-B to a small television on a metal stand nearby. Although SCP-4760-B has no apparent means by which to take in air, SCP-4760-B's chest still rises and falls as if it were breathing. It does not ever consume food or excrete waste, and is otherwise completely still aside from the rare instances in which it reacts to stimuli. Aside from this, SCP-4760-B is otherwise completely featureless, and though it has been described as being vaguely feminine in appearance, it has no discernible gendered characteristics. SCP-4760-A and B are part of a system that is believed to have originally been intended to allow for remote viewing. In records of SCP-4760's creation, Vincent Anderson notes that the entity is capable of perceiving human voices and taking commands which would in turn trigger an activation cycle and display the intended target on the screen attached to SCP-4760-B. The entity no longer appears to respond to commands or the human voice at all, but can still be triggered manually by touching SCP-4760-B or the cables attached to its eye sockets in any way. During activation cycles, SCP-4760-B will twitch and move slightly more than usual, and an image will appear on the screen next to it. In all instances of SCP-4760-B's activation, the entity will appear on the screen alongside the intended subjects of the viewing. The entity typically appears motionless in these events, 
but has been observed interacting with the subjects involved with various results. Activation of SCP-4760 is fatal to any living thing in the area directly above SCP-4760-A. Through means which are currently unknown to Foundation entomologists, SCP-4760 is capable of suddenly and violently drawing energy out of living things, resulting in their deaths. While SCP-4760 can also drain energy from electrical devices, the effect is substantially more apparent with living creatures. This effect appears to be intended. SCP-4760 is not capable of creating and maintaining an image on screen without at least some loss of life. If no creatures are within the boundaries of SCP-4760-A at the beginning of an activation cycle, the effect will not spread out as far from SCP-4760-B as it would otherwise. The birds used to identify SCP-4760 activation cycles have thus far not been enough to sustain a full activation cycle. From the moment SCP-4760 begins activating, human subjects within SCP-4760-A will generally experience no more than 15 seconds of consciousness before succumbing to the effects of SCP-4760. The bodies of creatures affected by SCP-4760 show a uniform state of decay. Subjects generally appear dried and withered, with bones and other hard structures becoming brittle and flesh and meat becoming seized and torn. The results of testing indicate that this process is extremely painful for entities that experience it. Notably, as a result of this, the area directly above SCP-4760-A is often devoid of plant life, as organisms planted there rarely have enough time to achieve any substantial growth. Addendum 4760.1 Discovery SCP-4760 is discovered after the death of hiking enthusiast and internet personality Anders Max, who was reportedly hiking and kayaking in British Columbia. In his final video blog entry, Max described arriving at SCP-4760 and staying there for the night. In the morning, he awoke and further explored SCP-4760, eventually finding SCP-4760-B. The following is a transcript of a final video in which Max triggers the activation cycle that resulted in his death. On screen is Anders Max. He's wearing a heavy jacket. All around him is the flat dirt circle of SCP-4760. Alright guys, this is what I was talking about. I came out here last night and when I woke up you can see here where... Hang on. Camera zooms in on the dirt. It's all dirt in this like perfect circle. Look at this. Camera pans around. Whoa, what is that? Max approaches SCP-4760-B. Holy shit, what is that? Is that some sort of puppet? Camera pans around again. Hello? Is anyone there? God, this is so weird. It, it must be some sort of art piece, but I've never seen anything like it. Oh, Jesus. Fuck. I think it's breathing. Camera zooms in on SCP-4760-B, which is sitting up and looking straight ahead, unmoving. Hello? Can you hear me? What is this? Hello? Max reaches out and touches SCP-4760-B's shoulder. The entity shivers. Hello? Suddenly, a bird falls out of the sky and lands near Max. Uh, what the fuck? Uh, holy shit, where did that just come from? Ah, uh, oh. SCP-4760-B begins to twitch. The camera's picture starts to become grainy, and the battery indicator drops suddenly. Oh no. Oh no, 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 what? The video cuts out completely. Sound continues for a few more seconds, but is heavily distorted. 
Audio cuts out. Addendum 4760.2. Ongoing research and investigation. Shortly after Foundation Asset seized the land on which SCP-4760 is situated and discerned its basic characteristics, an intensive investigation began into the origins of the structure. During this investigation, a laboratory was uncovered nearby. One that had been overrun with vegetation and was in a severe state of disrepair. This laboratory, which appears to have been abandoned suddenly and without warning, contained evidence that the original owner was Poe I-1115, Vincent Anderson. According to information collected from the laboratory, the laboratory had been abandoned over 30 years prior. After collecting the computers from inside the lab and analyzing the disks, many of which had been destroyed over time due to exposure, a small cache of encrypted data was discovered and revealed to be Anderson Robotics Project Archives. These archives contain detailed schematics of SCP-4760-A, a list of testing results, and an exhaustive collection of personal journal entries, correspondences, and database updates, all believed to have been created by Anderson himself. Addendum 4760.3 Collected information from POI-1115's lab. September 19th, 1963. Isaac, your assumptions were correct. The individual I spoke to on the phone revealed himself as a mediator for Mr. Obadiah Dark, of Marshall Carter and Dark. We didn't talk for too long. He expressed how busy he was, but mentioned that they were interested in some of the work we'd done with the non-L units. I'll admit I'm cautiously optimistic. If we can secure a deal like this, we'll be able to fund the SACRE program. I'll keep you posted, but this is a good start. Vincent. November 2nd, 1963. Work begins. Today we take our first step into the unknown. I've assembled a small team to handle most of the heavy lifting, and have taken up residence on a fairly deserted patch of rock here in the frigid north. I've been very careful to keep our intentions hidden from even my closest confidants, as the nature of this work can attract unwanted attention if it gets out. I finally got the opportunity to speak to Mr. Dark directly, or as much as you can with someone like he. I'll admit I found his person generally distasteful and his presence uncomfortable, but he is in possession of a truly staggering amount of wealth, and far be it for me to judge a man on instinct alone. He expressed to me a single desire, to see the world as his enemies do. He said to me, Vincent, I'm a businessman. My business is the unknown and the unseen. I have powerful enemies who thwart my investments at every turn, and they're able to do this because they can see the unseen. I desire that sight, Vincent. He no doubt is referring to the SCP, those doctors and armed men called the Jailers by the Serpents of the Wandering Hand. It puzzled me that he would name them specifically. I recognize they have influence just about everywhere, but so far as I know, their actual capabilities are rather lacking, unlike those in Europe and the United States. Still, my experience with them is limited, so maybe he knows something I don't. Bill... His request was even stranger. See as they see. Mr. Dark goes on to tell me that the SCP have this tool, this machine they call the All-Seeing Eye. 
He says it is capable of seeing every man, woman, or child anywhere in the world on a whim. Now, remote sight is nothing new. Ever since the start of these tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union, all sorts of groups have been experimenting with persons they think can see a great distance for a variety of purposes. Truthfully, I find the subject rather bland. You could accomplish the same thing by putting cameras in the sky and achieve your goals at half the cost. But these governments apparently know more than I do, because these young people keep getting pulled off the street to be experimented upon. Wicked business. What Mr. Dark desires, though, is achievable. I have a test subject, one young woman we pulled off a street in Southeast Asia or so, who's drawing near to fulfilling her usefulness to our team. I believe a set of ocular implants will be able to meet Mr. Dark's needs, and I'll throw the subject in free of charge to support the implants for him. The money will be worth it, but for my own, I'd rather never have to meet Mr. Dark in person again. February 14th, 1964 A great step forward today. The girl, uh, Callisto as I've taken to calling her, was prepped and fitted with the baseline oculars just this afternoon, and is already reporting promising results in recovery. These implants are nothing special. We have to remove the eyes to fit them in, so the baseline oculars simply fill the role left vacant from having no eyes. She's a ghostly sight, no doubt. All blood and meat and metal. But she can see. And that's progress. Mr. Dark came back with some new specifications. I'm beginning to think he's a paranoid person, because he said that he doesn't trust a person's words. He wants to see for himself what they're seeing. That's tricky, but not impossible. I had considered running a line into the back of the skull that could be attached to another set of implants, but he also expressed revulsion at the idea of being augmented in any way. His loss, but that does mean we'll need to find a screen he can look at that will interface with the implants directly. I think I have some ideas there, but that is work for another day. June 27th. 1964. More progress, and more setbacks. The high-grade implants were seated today, and upon turning them on, they almost immediately overwhelmed Callisto. This isn't optimal, but it's also not expected. Humans aren't designed to pull this much information in through their eyes. I asked her if she could see my office on the other end of the island, and she could, but the effort of doing so exhausted her. There are ways around this, I think. What needs to happen is that we need to supplement her body with another power source, something that the implants can draw from that won't pull energy from her own person. My team suggested some sort of atomic generator, but I fear detection by the prying eyes of the Soviets and Americans. I believe a more straightforward approach is required here, one that draws power silently and inconspicuously. I've imagined a large disk of photosensitive panels that could draw power from the sun, the same way civilian solar operates, though I'll need to find a way to augment that power transfer. Modern panels are remarkably inefficient, and that simply won't do. I have some designs written up, and hopefully my team can begin manufacturing them before the end of the week. March 30th, 1965 a great leap forward. 
Today we turned on the solar energizing disc and asked Callisto to look into the locker of my Vancouver laboratory and tell me what was in it. Sure enough, she managed to do so, and even described the room around it. I hooked up the new video cables to the implants and wired them into a television, and I was able to see what she was seeing as she was seeing it. Incredible. Sure, the image was grainy, and her own intrusive thoughts occasionally bled into the picture, but it was there on the screen. She really is a remarkable specimen. Her brain is a gift. In another life, she might have been the next Da Vinci or Einstein, but Providence found fit to burden her with motherhood, poverty, and loss at young age, which has crippled her over time. Her experiences are difficult to work around. Every now and then I'll catch fleeting images of babies and collapsing buildings on the screen and have to redirect her attention. She is resilient, though, and her mind has shown no frailty when handling such an excess of information. It is amazing to behold. A few more months of tune-ups, and I believe we will be ready for our meeting with Mr. Dark. Though I'd prefer to keep my distance from a man like him, business demands we make pleasantries once again. Bless you, capitalism. May 12th, 1966. If I could communicate a long and drawn-out sigh, followed by a vigorous rubbing of the temples in the written word, this is the place where I would do it. The long and short of today is that Mr. Dark was not satisfied. He commended the work that had been completed, but brought up another stipulation in the contract that, admittedly, I might have glossed over. It's not enough for him to be able to see now. He wants to look back through time and see back then as well. I tried to explain to him that I'm an inventor, not a wizard. But he wouldn't hear it and is withholding our payment until we can make this happen. What am I supposed to do? I've already sunk nearly all my money into this project and now he wants me to do something that is actually magic. There's just no way to get this done. I'm at a loss. Even if such a thing were possible, there's no way we'd be able to draw enough power through our current system to run it, and the extra effort would kill Callisto. August 2nd, 1968. The project has taken a turn I do not believe it can recover from. Isaac has secured the capital we need to continue working, but all we're doing currently is running headlong toward an obstacle that cannot be breached. I was able to fake it by delaying the implants slightly, allowing Callisto to seem as if she was looking into the past, but it was only a couple of moments, and it's not a sustainable alternative. There simply is no better option here. However, something else of note. Since we cleared up the image coming through the television last month, I've started seeing strange things in the images on screen. Callisto will show me a mall in Los Angeles, and in the back of the image will be a peculiar figure. It is always nude, though lacking in any discernible characteristics, and I can't help but feel like it is watching the people or events transpiring in front of it. Is this a mirage? Some projection of Callisto's sense of self? In the early days, I would occasionally see this figure, or some approximation of it, when her mind would stray and the infants would appear on the screen, is this her consciousness made manifest? I don't know. Nor does it really make a difference. There's no way forward that does not include a miracle. 
October 22nd, 1968. The miracle has occurred. There's no other way to explain it. I'd been working on tuning the implants when Callisto started acting strangely. When I asked her how she was feeling, she didn't seem able to communicate with me, only holding a hand out for me to take. She began shuddering and shaking, and truthfully I could feel the ground moving slightly beneath my feet. She cried out several times and made many horrible sounds, but the screen illuminated, and on it was myself, many years ago, in the Vietnamese town where we found her. The figure had returned, and it walked behind me as I entered the very brothel where I had purchased Callisto. After a short time we emerged again, with the girl in tow. The screen went dark, and Callisto slumped over, exhausted. I don't know how this has been made possible. Everything there on the screen was exactly as it had happened, clear as day. I tried to ask Callisto about the incident, but her speech has been reduced to muttering and is nearly unintelligible. Regardless, there is something here. A stroke of divinity the likes of which I thought I would never witness personally. Inspection of the implants afterwards showed no signs of damage or even stress, leading me to believe that this must have come from Callisto herself, somehow. I'm exhausted. Seeing myself on that screen took it out of me. I managed to get Callisto unplugged and carried her and myself back indoors to rest for as long as we each can before we get back to work tomorrow. October 23rd, 1968 A short note. During my inspection of the solar array today, I saw a large number of dead animals near the northwestern edge. They appeared to have been a pack of deer, but they were badly disfigured. I inspected the area for damages to the array and was unable to find any, but I would hypothesize that there was some sort of electrical malfunction in the array that led to their deaths. I'll need to get this adjusted prior to any demonstration. It'll do me no good to finish this project if my benefactors get zapped in the process. April 17th, 1970 We have finally been able to create a workable trigger for Callisto. She is nearly completely mute now, but still responds to verbal commands and to touch. She expects my hand, and when she feels it, she will send out her far sight towards wherever I indicate. Her hair has fallen out, but I still reward her with a brush she can use to pretend to run through it. This seems to comfort her. Callisto has deteriorated quickly, and additional modifications needed to be made. Her body is almost entirely sustained now by the solar array, being generally incapable of producing its own energy now. She no longer takes in sustenance except in very rare cases, but it is almost completely returned in the form of a thin, runny stool. Additionally, all of her orifices seem to be collapsing on themselves. I thought the blistering around her mouth was some sort of rash, but the skin there seems to be coming together in a way that I didn't expect. This is happening everywhere else as well, and I fear it will not be too long before she will need auditory implants in order to hear commands as well. Despite this, we are still making great strides. The final replacement panels for the solar array were delivered earlier this month, and my hope is that we will have teams installing them before the beginning of summer. We are on track to meet my 10-year goal and I expect that we will see this work finished satisfactorily by then.
Hey everyone, Pacific here with a quick ad break and a reminder. Ad-free episodes are available at our Patreon at patreon.com slash scp underscore pod. And now, back to the show. Addendum 4760.4, SCP-4760 activation log. Event ID number 13. Event summary. SCP-4760 activates automatically on April 18th, 2005. D-004A is on hand at the time of activation and transcribes the scene on the television. Transcript The thing is standing in a building. School? Kids passing by? 80s? Can't tell. Doors open and a man with a gun is there. Thing approaches. Event ID number 17. Event summary. SCP-4760 activates automatically on October 12, 2005. D-0008A is on hand at the time of activation and transcribes the scene on the television. Transcript. Outside a hospital in Middle East. People crying loud. Sound. Thing looking in window. Sound of plane. Then explode. Event ID number 32. Event summary. SCP-4760 activates automatically on September 21st, 2007. D-003B is on hand at the time of activation and transcribes the scene on the television. Transcript Inside some facility, small boy on the ground. Two people, guards, appear incapacitated. Boy is crying and frantically trying to put something together in a corner. Someone trying to get in the door. The figure is standing behind him. The boy's body starts to change, and the figure reaches down towards him, and... Addendum 4760.5, Recovered Video. Note, the following video file was discovered on a cassette tape in POI-1115's laboratory during investigation of the site. Due to severe damage to the tape, certain sections of runtime were omitted. Section 1. 0 to 15 seconds. Several individuals are standing near the center of SCP-4760. The large metal plates are visible beneath them and are not covered in dirt. A small stage is set up next to SCP-4760-B, which appears to be covered by a sheet. An individual identified as Vincent Anderson is standing next to another individual identified as former Anderson Robotics Executive Officer Lyle Tygo. The group is speaking casually. Section 2. 1 minute, 41 seconds, to 2 minutes, 2 seconds. Vincent Anderson is standing on the stage, talking. Audio does not play. He gestures towards Lyle Tago, and then towards an individual in the front row of seats that cannot be seen from where the camera is placed. Section 3. 4 minutes, 12 seconds, to 4 minutes, 14 seconds. Vincent Anderson is standing next to SCP-4760-B. 
now uncovered. A man in a purple bowler is inspecting the implants. Section 4. 7 minutes, 56 seconds to 11 minutes. Vincent Anderson is standing between SCP-4760-B and the attached television. He gestures towards someone off-screen. We're going to begin our demonstration now. You've all seen already what the Calypso series Model 01 is capable of doing presently, but now witness what she can see retroactively. Anderson turns to SCP-4760-B and whispers something in its ear. He touches the entity's face, which immediately retracts and begins to convulse slightly. There is an audible humming sound picked up, and the audio momentarily cuts out. Anderson wipes sweat from his brow and gestures towards the screen. The screen is barely visible, but it appears as if two people are near each other speaking. The audio comes back on in the middle of their conversation. Delivered today at Marshall's storehouse in Lithuania. He wants to know how soon you can come out to see it. I've already told him. I want nothing to do with it. I don't know how friendly Skitter thinks I am with them, but it's certainly not enough to deal with that. He's planning on passing it off to Bright, you know. Adam Bright? <laughs> Good. Let him bury it instead. It was a mistake helping him then, and it would be a mistake helping him now. I warned him back then that the factory doesn't go unpaid. If Bertrand wants to run from them for the rest of his life, he's more than welcome to, but he's not about to saddle me with that. Where do you think they'll keep it? I... I wouldn't want to speculate. I'm sure the Foundation has plenty of dark places for things like that. Good riddance. The man in the front row of seats points towards the screen. It is believed this person is the one identified by Anderson as Obadiah Dark. There, in the background. Who is that? We believe that's some sort of manifestation of the Calypso unit's sense of self. A way to anchor itself in the moment. It's unobtrusive and... Can they see it? Not, uh, that we know of. No, it's just something on the... Obadiah Dark gets up from his chair and approaches the subject. Anderson steps forward to intercept him, but is pushed to the ground by the larger man. Dark steps in front of SCP-4760-B. He grabs the entity by the shoulders and leans in towards its face. Ulysses Sate. You can see him. I know you can. We met once. Years ago. Find that moment. Find it. SCP-4760-B shudders. Anderson calls out but a member of Obadiah Dark's security detail hits him in the face with the butt of a rifle. Dark takes an uneasy step backwards and grabs the edge of the stage for leverage. The ground begins to hum again. A member of the security detail coughs. In the background, something drops out of the sky. Another voice, identical to the second unidentified person from the previous activation event, albeit slightly younger, is heard from the television. We're anticipating being able to load it onto my ship. You don't see any reason we would have issues with that, would you? It'll be more than sufficient, I believe. 
As long as you keep clear of the coastline, I wouldn't anticipate any issues. I'm glad to hear it. We're hoping to get Kill him. him. Dark looks down at SCP-4760-B. Kill him now. Do it. Kill him, you bitch. I can see you standing behind him. Kill him. Dark slaps SCP-4760-B, which recoils and begins to shake. Kill him, you dumb fucking whore. There is movement on the screen, and Dark takes another tentative step backwards. He is noticeably breathing heavily. From the television, the sounds of choking can be heard. Seat. Seat. What's happening? Get out of the way, you dumb fucker. Let him die. Let him suffer. He deserves it. For what he did. For... There is a distinct cracking sound from the television. Two of the armed guards on screen collapse and begin twitching on the ground. More shapes, identified later as birds, continue to fall from the sky. Anderson is rolling on the ground, grabbing at his face. The scene on the television apparently changes. As it does, Obadiah Dark begins to shake. What? What is this? No. Wait, that's... Mother? She's... That's... Me? No. Wait. No, 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 no. Not like this. Not like... SCP-4760-B begins to shake violently. The rest of the security detail drops to the ground, their bodies shaking and smoking and fluid beginning to seep from cracks forming in their skin. Raw, red flesh is visible beneath the cracks, and it also smokes and sizzles as it is exposed to the open air. Dark lunges for SCP-4760-B, but stumbles after taking one step. There is a loud, wet sound, followed by a scream on the television, and then another wet pop. On the ground, Dark seizes. Not! No! 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 His body flashes white briefly, and then both the audio and video cut out. Section 5. Intermittent footage. 21 minutes 9 seconds to 37 minutes 33 seconds. A different camera feed, likely from a perimeter camera, intermittently activates. During its runtime, the edge of the steel plates is seen vibrating, and multiple birds fall out of the sky onto the plate. Shortly afterwards, a single figure is seen from afar, slowly dragging themselves towards the outer edge of the plate. Upon reaching it, they crawl onto the grass and stop moving. Section 6 43 minutes 2 seconds to 44 minutes 24 seconds an identifier in the corner of the screen marks this as being from a third camera. The room is dark, but a figure can be seen moving in the darkness by the faint light of the camera's green battery indicator. A voice, severely distorted and clearly in pain, speaks to the camera. It is believed that this voice belongs to Vincent Anderson. Face. My face. God. Oh, God. What have I done? What have I done? God, no! Another person enters behind him. The room is momentarily lit by the setting sun outside the laboratory as the other individual opens the door. 
It is believed that this person is Anderson Robotics Executive Officer, Isaac Dillard. Vincent? Vincent, what the hell happened out here? Are you okay? We heard something rumbling and got here as soon as we... What are you doing? Anderson is heard opening and closing drawers. She... she... I did this to her. I created something. Something that was cruel and... She... she felt me. I felt her. And I felt cruelty. Hate. Because of... because of me. Because of what I did. I did it. What are you talking about? Where were the investors? Vincent! There's the sound of an automatic drill being used to affix something to a piece of metal. This... this has been why I was... was getting so tired. I was over... overworked. I thought... but she... she figured it out. Or, or maybe I made a mistake. But the... the array... I could feel the life coming... coming out of me. And it hurt. It hurts. And it was being replaced by the thing inside her. This thing that hates... Oh, what? God! Where are the goddamn lights? I can't see for... Dillard turns on the lights illuminating the interior of the laboratory and Anderson. He is wearing a crude steel plate with two holes for eyes and a small slit for a mouth. From behind the mask, it is clear that the skin is missing from his face. His eyes are fully red. Jesus fucking Christ, Vince. What happened to you? She she could be anywhere. She can't she can't do it alone. But not without the array, but she if she does, and she starts it, she can find me anywhere. She'll find me. She'll find me, and she'll kill me. I felt her heart, the, the thing on the screen. I thought it was her ego, her identity, but it was hate. I need you to slow down and tell me what happened. We need to bury this, Isaac. Or maybe just abandon it and let the elements have their way with it. We need to cover the array, at least. Maybe that way she won't be able to use it to pull power, and we'll see what happens. I don't understand, Vince. What do you mean, the thing on the screen? I... I thought the figure on the television that appears wherever she looks somewhere was just her consciousness. Some kind of anger. I was wrong, Isaac. It was her hatred. And that dumb motherfucker woke it up. Addendum 4760.6. Recovered document. Office of Marshall, Carter, and Dark. New York, London, Hong Kong. Mr. Anderson, this letter is a receipt of services rendered. A payment for the full sum of our contract, 755 million US dollars, will be deposited in the account we have on file for you. You have 30 days to dispute this transaction or make changes to the deposit account. We are considering this matter closed. Yours, Skitter Marshall, Winston Carter, Salvador Dark. SCP-4760 Activation Log Event ID Number 95 Event Summary SCP-4760 Activates Automatically on July 13, 2017 D-1125E is on hand at the time of activation and transcribes the scene on the television. Transcript It's just standing out here, looking at itself.
This episode was possible thanks to our patrons. Joining us this week was Lauren Buchanan, John Kitzono, B. Dedmond, Jacob Volens, Chance, Ryan Pritchett, Megan Goines, Javi, Riku D, Agent Retcon, Milky Way, Turtle, Grace Adams, Sam Couples, and P.D. the Owl. SCP-4760 was written by DJ Cactus. Our host and narrator was John Grills. Max was Sushanted Laka. Vincent was Graham Rowett. Anderson was Brandon Nguyen. Unidentified One was Melissa Lusk. Dark was Russ Moore. Unidentified Three was Sushanted Laka. Dillard was Anver Mahmood. And MCD was Melissa Lusk. Our sound designer was Travis McMaster, and our music was done by Matt Roy Berger. Our theme song was done by the incredible Tom Rory Parsons, and I'm your showrunner, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska, and this is a bloody disgusting show. For more information, visit bloody.fm.